अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांग मनसगोचरम आत्मानम अखिलाधारम आश्रये भीष्ट सिद्धये सो नमस्ते एवरीबॉडी वी आर स्टडीइंग द वेदांत सार एंड वी हैव हैड अ कपल ऑफ क्लासेस so we are on text number 5 and going on text number 6 i just uh, read out text number 5 and the translation tatra anubandho nama adhikari vishaya sambandha prayojanani the preliminaries the four preliminaries of vedanta are the qualified or the competent student number 1 adhikari number 2 the subject matter vishaya number 3 uh, sambandha its connection with the text the subject matter and the text how are they connected and uh, prayojana what's the point of this study so that's that's how classically uh, all classic or classical sanskrit texts begin at the beginning you would expect uh, these four to be pointed out we would like to know who is qualified to read this text um, who is um, and and then what is the subject matter of the text what what are we studying uh, and then the relationship of the text with the subject matter that's a technical thing we'll see later and then the fourth one is the what's the use of this what do we get out of this kind of study so it, that that is something that is uh, true across the board whenever you study such texts it will be pointed out um here whatever are the the four preliminaries of vedanta itself the entire subject are the four preliminaries for this book also so what what the text will now do is the four preliminaries they will take up each one qualified student what is the subject matter what is the purpose what is the relation of subject matter to text and then talk about each one separately so that's the style of this book um first a list of subjects will be given and each one will be taken up one by one so now we go into text number 6 the qualified student before i go into this i'd just like to mention a couple of things why do you need qualifications one might ask um, if i have an amazon account i can order the book and get the book and then read it that's it what what is the point of uh, what qualifications do i know if i know the language and if i can understand what's being said fine no the point is one can get the text and read it but unless one has these qualifications one will one will not get the full benefit of the text that's the whole point that uh, the whole point will be to get enlightenment will we get enlightenment by studying the text and the claim is you will get the full benefit if we have the full qualifications so that's why the qualifications of the uh, student are important um it's like you take up a graduate level textbook in any subject and the qualifications are are that you must have completed high school and some amount of um, uh, of college before you get into this kind of uh, study so a kind of uh, qualification entry level qualification is required in any area so that's the point of qualifications um the second point i wanted to make was don't get scared of when we read the qualification it might seem that oh i don't have these qualifications then i maybe i will not i'm not don't deserve to study vedanta no we all have these qualifications you will see to some extent it's just that when the such things are pointed out um these are the qualifications one needs to have this is the kind of concentration this is the kind of purity of mind one needs to have it's just being pointed out what we should pay attention to that uh, we should develop these things more and more within ourselves to get the full benefit of studying vedanta um often people get scared that oh maybe i'm not fit to study vedanta or i will not attain enlightenment so i always like this to tell this story about a person who went to ramana maharshi you know ramana maharshi would always tell people to inquire who am i so a person went to ramana maharshi and um asked uh, am i qualified to study vedanta am i qualified you know adhikari and ramana maharshi said did you say i if you said i then you are qualified because of the practice is who am i so if you can say i then you must be qualified so it's maybe it's not as easy as that but the point is 
we are all qualified for vedanta because ultimately we are brahman who else is more qualified for vedanta than brahman <laughs> so we are that ultimate reality and of course we need to uh, the whole purpose is to discover that so in that sense ultimately we are qualified but we need to know these things for our spiritual life now with that uh, in as the background let me get uh, go into this qualified student text number 6 by the way uh, this book I, i have given you a, a pdf and the number of new people have come in i hope you have all got the pdf you can follow on the pdf or if you have got the book the vedanta sarva is easily available it's published by advaita ashram so available available in india it's available here in the united states translated by swami nikhilanandji it's a very good book it's good to have the book in hand so text number 6 अधिकारी तो विधिवधीतवेदंगेनाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतवेदाधिगतव
So there are two kinds of knowledge, the transcendental and the relative. And what is the relative knowledge? So when he talks about the relative knowledge, um, he gives the entire Vedic study syllabus, you know. So that's where you find what is meant here by Veda Vedanga. I'm explaining that. The teacher says to Shaunaka, Tatra Pararik Veda Yajur Veda Sama Veda Atharva Veda Shiksha Kalpa Vyakaranam Niruktam Chando Jyotishamiti. So, relative knowledge is the four Vedas and the six auxiliaries called the Vedangas. The four Vedas, Rig Veda, Sama Veda, Yajur Veda, Atharva Veda, and the six subjects one needs to know in order to understand uh, the Vedas. What are the six subjects? Um, the Chanda, the Vedic uh, prosody, how, how uh, the Vedic meter was written. And then Jyotisha, study of the movements of the stars uh, in order to you know, find the right time for the Vedic rituals. Um, uh, Nirukta, the Vedic dictionary. And then uh, Vyakarana, the Vedic uh, grammar. Um, then uh, the, the another one, uh, the Veda, Yajur Veda, Sama Veda, Atharva Veda. Shiksha. Shiksha here means, Shiksha does not mean education. Shiksha here means the proper pronunciation. Uh, of, of Vedic, uh, uh, the Vedic chants, how to pronounce it properly. So there are uh, rules for that and so on. So these are called the Vedangas. So this is having studied the Vedas and the Vedangas and Apatata Adhigata Akhila Vedartha. Having understood in general, Apatata Adhigata means having a general idea of the entire meaning, not having realized Brahman, that then the, there's no purpose of the study at all. So uh, having known the general meaning of the Vedic teachings, having studied the Vedas and got an uh, understanding of the Vedas. And this is important. Asmin Janmani Janmantareva. Now, if you, are, if you are thinking that that's a huge thing, I have not studied any of the Vedas. I don't know Sanskrit or the, the Vedangas or anything. And there's no chance of me studying that anyway now. And I'm not going to let me stop this then. No, it says Asmin Janmani Janmantareva in this life or in past lives. So the whole point is this entire qualification. One may be qualified for Vedanta. One does not have to, have to actually go through this process if one has inquiry, if one wants to realize that, uh, you know, realize the purpose of life. Enlightenment is the goal. Um, so we'll see the general qualifications necessary later. I'm just reading out the text now. In this life or past lives. And this, this applies to what is coming now also. What is to be done? Kamya, there are certain things which are to be given up. Kamya nishiddha vajjana purasaram. Nishiddha karma. One must give up immoral activities, sinful activities. What is prohibited? Nishiddha means prohibited by religion, by, by morality and ethics. One must give that up. And then kamya. Not only give up the uh, prohibited actions, but also there are actions which we perform for our selfish reasons. So there are certain rites and rituals in the Vedic Karma Kanda, the ritualistic portion, which are called Kamya Karma. So we read about, you know, the kings who performed Vedic rituals for um, conquering their enemies, or they wanted children, or they wanted wealth, or something like that. So these are all called Kamya Karma. We have a worldly, this worldly or otherworldly goal, and we perform these rituals. But that's entirely to do with this world. That is not a spiritual goal. So those things also should be given up. One should not take to uh, um, use religion for materialistic purposes. That's the point. Then, what should be done? So these are a list of do's and don'ts. What should be done? Nitya naimittika prashchitta and upasana. So three kinds of rituals. Prashchitta for if I feel I have committed sins, so there are um, uh, rituals which will help me to get rid of those sins and uh, feel purified. So Prashchitta Karma, there are also rituals. And then uh, Nitya Nemittika. Nitya Karma are the rituals a person following a Vedic um, lifestyle, uh, who is a believer in the Vedas, uh, uh, who is a religious person. The rituals a person has to do every day obligatory rituals. So like Sandhya, Vandana, so people used to do this. Uh, Naimittika are the rituals one has to follow at 
specific occasions, say on the birth of a child or when one takes a sacred thread. Uh, so uh, special um, uh, special rituals for special times of the year or on special occasions in one's, one's life. Those are called naimittika because of some particular reason. Naimittika. So these are three kinds of things to be done. Nitya karma, naimittika karma and prashchitta karma. Three kinds of rituals. Plus upasana, worship as prescribed in the Vedas. Now, I just want to say here what do all these do's and don'ts? Everything will be explained later on. Each item will be explained, but we'll probably not be very clear about it even when we read the explanations. Because remember, the context is a Vedic context. To understand this, one must see what is it there in, in our modern Hindu life. So um, the rituals, the Vedic rituals have been replaced in modern Hinduism by puja. So instead of... Uh, the yajna, it's still performed in a small way in a part of a big puja, like Durga puja is coming up, you will find a home of fire is lit. So those are Vedic rituals which are still performed, but they have all become part of our um, Hindu pujas. So what we, the, what the religion has now evolved to temples, deities, and the worship of those deities. So those are the rituals in our present context. We don't have to actually go back and perform those Vedic rituals. So have... Uh, have some religion in your life, to put it in a broad and simple way. Uh, it is not against religion. It's, uh, Vedanta is not saying that you stop believing in all that. I am Brahman and that's, that's it. No. Uh, a devout religious life is very helpful for Vedanta. Notice, these are preparations for Vedanta. To be a student for this book or for Vedanta, one, it's helpful if one has a religious background. That way I can put it. Uh, and an ethical and moral life, ethical, moral, religious life, and uh, upasana. So this upasana is, in Vedas, certain meditations were prescribed. You had to visualize uh, certain things, and there are detailed descriptions are there. Now those things have gone out of uh, vogue in modern Hinduism. In modern Hinduism, what we do is, those who have taken mantra diksha, you know, that an Ishta Devata is given, Krishna or Rama or Durga or Kali, Ramakrishna, and then you're shown how to meditate on your uh, chosen deity and you're given a mantra. So that is our upasana. So upasana basically means worship done mentally. Upasana has two sides. One is the physical puja which we do, which are equal to Vedic rituals. And then there is the actual mental internal worship that we do. So it's visualization, repeating a mantra, which is equivalent to the Vedic upasana. And why is this done in such a way? Remember, this goes back to the, uh, the structure of the Vedas. The Vedas themselves, the four books, if you see the constituents, what are they all about? They're about three things. Karma, Upasana, Jnana. Karma means ritual, Upasana means worship, and uh, Jnana means worship or meditation. Let's say meditation. And Jnana means knowledge. Ritual, meditation, knowledge. Karma, upasana, jnana. This is the structure of the Vedas. In the, all, the Vedas, all the texts that you find there, they're concerned with these three. So that's why um, you will see here, there is some instruction about karma. What do you do with the Vedic karma? Those karmas which are prohibited, don't do them. Nishiddha. Those which are, to, which are related to fulfilling worldly desires, don't do them. Those which are obligatory duties, rituals, nitya karma, do them. Which are occasional major rituals to be performed, naimittika karma, do them. Which are for repentance and for, um, uh, you know, if you, one feels guilty about past misdeeds, prashchitta karma, do that. And then the second component is upasana, meditation. That also you have to do, upasana. Having done these, you come to the jnana portion. Three parts, karma, upasana, jnana, you come to the jnana portion finally. The, the last and final portion of the Vedas, which is found in the Upanishads, which is called Vedanta. So we are now going to enter Vedanta. You see, I, I hope this is making sense. Now we are going to enter Vedanta. Who is going to enter Vedanta? Those who have already done the karma and upasana portions of the Vedas. What does it mean for us today? For us, it means today that some religious background is necessary. 
uh, an ethical life is necessary plus some practice of med meditation is necessary it's a good solid foundation for vedanta which we are going to enter, uh, enter now this is an interesting balance usually religion is understood as rituals prayers meditation and here in vedanta we are, we are being told all those are not the actual um, the essence of spirituality which is vedanta which we are going to talk about and learn today i mean learn from now on but on the other hand those are not to be dispensed or scorned and thrown away some vedantists make that mistake so they say we don't need rituals i you know it, it goes back to the time when advaita vedanta was uh, being taught becoming popular in india after shankaracharya so many hindus thought are these people actually hindus are, are they religious people or are they some kind of buddhists are they some kind of atheists or skeptics i mean do they go to temples do they take bath in the ganga uh, do they go on pilgrimages uh, do they believe these things so the advaitin had to say yes we believe all of it we believe all of it but all of it is what what is called the transactional vyavaharika level at that level and it's a very good preparation for the actual vedanta which we are going to talk about so this is one side the other kind of extreme is those who uh, don't pay any attention to the vedanta and they are remaining only at the level of rituals and uh, maybe some kind of meditation mostly sometimes people remain only with rituals external observances that is not the essence of spirituality one must come to the core which is vedanta okay um now i think so what is the purpose of all of this the purpose is next nirgata nikhila kalmashata i am reading from the text those who are following the sanskrit nitanta nirmala swanta swanta means one's own mind antakarana one's own mind what will happen nirgata uh, nitanta nirmala very pure so the mind has to be made pure or very pure how nirgata nikhila kalmashataya having uh, erased uh, removed all kinds of impurities from the mind removal of all kinds of impurities from the mind attainment of a pure mind as a result of which what what will happen as a result of all of this sadhana chatushtaya sampanna we will get four qualifications which are essential for vedanta that's the whole take away from this those four qualifications and all of this which we read uh, was how do you how does one become qualified for vedanta one becomes qualified for vedanta if one has those four four qualifications which we will see later i will take questions but before that <coughs> let me just share the basic structure of spiritual practice in vedanta this is an important thing i will share with you which will be helpful for the study of any vedantic text and later on you want to study upanishads uh, bhagavad gita the, the commentaries of shankara acharya it helps in understanding what's going on so let me share this i'll share the screen with you also so that you can see um one second Okay. Uh, can you see this uh, PowerPoint? Yes. Okay. So this is what we are studying. The four preliminaries to the studying to a text are the Adhikari, Vishaya, Sambandha, Prayojana. But this is what I wanted to share with you. So look at the whole structure of spiritual practice in Advaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta says, "You are Brahman. That's the teaching. So there should be no problem. You are infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. What problem does one Brahman have?" But then immediately our reaction will be, "But I don't know that. I don't, it's not real for me. I don't feel that. I don't get the benefits you are talking about. You know, the removal of suffering, the attainment of um, peace and bliss." so I, i'm not i don't know this what you're talking about it's not something that i have realized it's not something that is a is a uh, reality here can you see the movement of my uh, yes. so you see here 
The problem is ignorance. The problem is ignorance, and I've given you the Sanskrit equivalent, Ajnana. What kind of ignorance? Not ignorance of physics, chemistry, or even Sanskrit. Ignorance of my nature, the, the claim in Vedanta that you're, you are Brahman, that I do not know. I must honestly confess, I don't know this. This is my problem. And no means as a living reality, not just that I've read about it or not. Yeah, I've read about it, I've heard about it, but it's not a living, it's not clear to me at all. I have not realized it. So the solution will be knowledge, jnana, because the solution for ignorance is always knowledge. And remember, this knowledge and this ignorance, how are they related? Here is a simple thing. Knowledge removes ignorance. Knowledge removes ignorance. When, when the object and the locus are the same. Two things I'm, I'm repeating. When ignorance and knowledge have the same object and same locus, it may sound uh, strange. What does this mean? But when I explain to you, you'll see it's very simple, actually. So suppose I don't know maths. I don't know mathematics. And I go to a class. I have ignorance about mathematics. So what is my ignorance about? What is the object of my ignorance? Mathematics. Where is that ignorance? In me, in my mind. Now I go to the teacher. Teacher is going to give me knowledge about mathematics. So the knowledge must be about what? About mathematics. I can't go to a music teacher or um, um, you know, Spanish teacher because the object of my ignorance is mathematics. So the knowledge must be about mathematics. The object must be same. What, is it, what are you ignorant about? Then you need knowledge about that only. And where, is, where should the knowledge come? It should come where there is ignorance. Where is ignorance? In me, not in my teacher. The knowledge is, which is in my teacher that will not remove my ignorance. That knowledge has to come in me and it has to be about what I'm ignorant of. Then if the locus, locus means the place where it is. If the locus and the object of ignorance and knowledge are the same, then only knowledge removes ignorance. So if the object of ignorance is mathematics, I do not know mathematics, then the knowledge also must be about mathematics. If the locus of ignorance is in me, I do not know mathematics, then I must know uh, mathematics. The knowledge, the knowledge must come here. It sounds like a simple thing. We all understand this. Why I make a big deal about it? Because, first of all, when we say Vedanta is about knowledge, Jnana Yoga, knowledge yoga, not all kinds of knowledge. Only knowledge about the self, about what I am. And also, my teacher's knowledge will not help me. And the enlightened person, Vivekananda's, Raman Marshi's knowledge will not help me. It has to become my knowledge. I must realize this. Okay. How do I get it? What is the method? The method is Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. One must systematic. One, Shravana means hearing. All these things will be explained later. Shravana means hearing. Manana means reasoning about it. And Nididhyasana means meditating uh, about it. Shravana, hearing of the teachings of Vedanta. It means more, um, it means actually systematically studying Vedanta. Systematically studying Vedanta, when we study it, a lot of questions come. And so those questions have to be um, uh, resolved through mananam, reasoning, uh, discussion. And then once I have studied it, once I have understood it, then I must meditate upon it to assimilate it so that it becomes knowledge. It becomes realization, living knowledge. And this knowledge alone can remove ajnana, ignorance. All right, that sounds fine. So this whole process is called jnana yoga. Shravana manana nididhyasana is called jnana yoga. That sounds fine. But then the, the complaint will be, I have been attending so many classes. I have, been, I have read so many books and heard so many lectures. Somehow knowledge is not coming and ignorance is not being removed. I still don't realize that I am Brahman. Then Vedanta says there is a, uh, another level of a second level of problems. What is that problem? Vikshepa. Vikshepa literally means scattered mind. The mind is unable to absorb what is being taught. I am hearing that I am Brahman. Not working. It's not working. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not realizing that. Uh, I'm somehow not getting it. So the mind must be concentrated. Problem, scattered mind, solution, concentration. In Sanskrit, vikshepa, 
And the solution for that is ekagrata. It's a common Sanskrit word found in many Indian languages. It means focus or concentration. How is that achieved? Remember, this whole structure is classical Advaita Vedanta. If you go to a bhakti teacher, they will not at all agree with this structure. It's about the, the traditional Advaita Vedanta, the structure followed in this book and in all Advaitic texts. So how does one get concentration? By meditation, devotion. So Raja Yoga and Bhakti Yoga will be useful here. What, for what? Not for liberation, not for enlightenment, but for concentration of mind. What will give you liberation? Only knowledge. Knowledge will remove ignorance and you will find that you are always liberated. You are ever liberated. So this Raja Yoga and Bhakti Yoga is actually what is called Upasana in this book or Upasana in the Vedas. Now one might at this point object, but I have been meditating. I took the mantra from such and such guru so many years ago and for last 20 years meditating, but my mind is so, you know, it fluctuates so much. I either fall asleep or my mind becomes restless when I meditate. So they're saying, Vedanta will say, there is another level of problems, a third level of problem. And I promise this is the last level. The third level of problem is impure mind. Why can't the mind concentrate? Because the mind is impure. In Sanskrit, mala or chitta mala. I, can, I should add chitta mala. Mala simply means dirt. But what kind of dirt? Chitta mala. Chitta means mind. So chitta mala, the dirt in the mind, impurities in the mind, conditionings from this life and many, many past lives. So, um, how, so what is the solution? Chitta shuddhi. We keep hearing about this again and again in spiritual life. Chitta shuddhi, purification of the mind. This is the unglamorous work of spiritual life. This is where it starts actually. So purification of the mind. How is this done? Karma yoga. First of all, ethical, moral life and then uh, unselfish action. That purifies the mind. So how does this work? So look at this. Problem, impure mind. A solution, pure, purified mind. How do you do it? By karma yoga, the mind is purified. With a purified mind, you meditate, upasana, and the scattered mind becomes concentrated. With a purified and concentrated mind, chitta shuddhi and ekagrata, jnana yoga, you come to Vedanta, and Vedanta, shravana, manana, and nididhyasana will generate knowledge, which will remove ignorance, and we will know that we are Brahman. So this is the whole structure of spiritual practice. So is there a sequence? So are we saying that, so right now I have to start karma yoga. Then after 20 years, I will go to Raja Yoga and Bhakti Yoga. And finally, when I'm 70 years old, I will come to your uh, Vedanta Sada class. No, 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 not at all. All of these go together. They all go together. What will these first two do? Okay, this is one interesting insight here. These first, this Karma Yoga and Raja Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, this Karma and Upasana, these two preliminaries before Jnana Yoga, what do they do? If they have been done well, then those four qualifications will come. One will become um, a qualified student of Vedanta. If they have not been done well, those four qualifications will be weak. Which are the four qualifications? We will see from uh, after this. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. This is all a background for, um, for what we're going to study today. At this point, if there are, let me just quickly read through um, the next few texts. So as usual, the author has used a number of technical terms and as is his style, he will explain, he'll define each of those terms. So he has mentioned things like Kamya Karma, Nishiddha Karma, um, you know, rituals done with desire, prohibited actions, uh, obligatory actions. So what are these things? He will define each of them quickly. Text number seven. Kamyani Swargadi Swargadishta Sadhanani Jyotishtomadini Sacrifices such as Jyotishtom, etc., which enable their performance to get the desired fruits, such as living in heaven, etc., are known as Kamya Karma. Remember, these are not to be done for if you want uh, enlightenment. Then, number eight. Nishiddhani, Narakadbi, Anishta, Sadhanani, 
Brahmanahananadini, actions such as the slaying of a Brahmin, etc., which bring about undesired results, such as going to hell, etc., are nishiddha karma or forbidden acts. So sinful acts, um, which are again not to be done. Then number nine, nityani akarane pratyavaya sadhanani sandhyavandanadini, daily rites or obligatory rituals for a religious Vedic person, such as sandhyavandana, the, the daily rituals, the non-performance of which causes harm are called nitya karma. So these are obligatory rites. If you think that you are a devout Hindu, so you have these. So in today's age, I mean, at least now it has all changed, but at least at the time of our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, we would see they would have a series of rituals which they would do throughout the day. They were not the, in some cases, the original Vedic rituals, but in some cases, something else. Like uh, in the morning, they would take a bath and then sit for puja uh, with the griha devata, the, uh, the household deity, offer food to that. And then in the evening, they might do a little arati, um, little uh, bhajan might be there, a little puja would be there. So these are like daily little rituals. And uh, they are to be done, yes. Then number 10. Naimittikani putra janmadhyanubandhini jyotishtomadini Jyatishti sacrifice which are performed subsequent to the birth of a son, etc. are called the naimittika karma or rites to be observed on special occasions. So birth or the upanayana or other things, um, you know, like marriage, etc. So certain rites are to be performed. A religious householder should perform those things. All these things are good preparation a religious lifestyle, good preparation for Vedanta. 11. Prashchitta karma, which are um, expiation of sins, penances. Prashchittani papakshaya sadhanani chandrayanadini rites such as the chandrayana, etc., which are instrumental in expiation of sin are prashchittas or penances. So it's a particular type. So all these names have been given I'm not going into that. I'm racing through these ones because these are uh, technical and also not directly relevant because most people don't do it these days. Uh, they do other things which are more common in Hinduism nowadays. For example, the Chandrayana would be a vow. So if I feel I have committed a sin. So I'm going to uh, repent for this sin and perform this ritual. So this ritual involves a worship and also with the movement of the moon uh, in the lunar calendar, my food will be reduced. So I start with 14 little uh, uh, morsels. And then um, as the days go by, every day it will be reduced by one and one until the, um, when there's no moon, new moon day, uh, there'll be, I will fast. And then it will be over. Uh, I mean, actually it will increase again. So again, it increases from one morsel, two morsels, three morsels, and at the end of the 14 days again, I can have a full meal. So that's a kind of um, uh, ritual. Then number 12. I'm just racing through it. And then I'll take the questions. Number 12. Upasana, meditations. Upasanani, saguna brahma vishaya, manasa vyapara rupani, shandilya vidyadini. So, um, mental activities, basically meditations, they are visualizations relating to the Saguna Brahman. Saguna Brahman means God. All these things will be defined much later. Such as are prescribed in the Shandilya Vidya are Upasanas or devotions to be done. So, Shandilya Vidya is, is a kind of meditation prescribed in Chandogya Upanishad. There are others also, like Dahara Vidya. So, as I said, the Vedas are divided into three parts rituals, meditations, knowledge. We are actually going to enter the knowledge part. Now the knowledge part is Vedanta. Vedanta is the knowledge portion of or the spiritual, let's say the spiritual portion of the uh, Vedas. The others, the rituals and the meditations, uh, they are, what this Vedanta says is they are not to be discarded. You can do them, uh, but not for any worldly purpose. Those are good preparations. If you do them without any worldly purpose, you just do them as a good practice, uh, as a purificatory thing. What will you get out of it? You will get two things. Purity of mind, concentration of mind. 
with a pure and concentrated mind, if you come to Vedanta, it will work miracles. Um, without that, if, if purity and concentration of mind are lacking, what will happen is either we will not understand what's being said, or we will say, many people come to this, they, they after a serious study of Vedanta over years, they finally come to, I get it now, and it's wonderful what Vedanta is saying, but it's not a living reality, it's not becoming a living reality for me. I have not realized it yet. So that's because the fourfold qualifications which we'll talk about, they are lacking. Saguna Brahma Vishaya. So this, the meditations about God, Saguna Brahman is God, basically the God of religion. So that these, these things have been replaced by our modern uh, Ishta Mantra and Ishta. So if you ask in Advaita Vedanta, if you ask, I have taken meditation. So what would a classic Advaitin say? A, uh, in a, you know, like a traditional Advaitin say? They will say it's very good. It's a, fun, a very good preparation for um, Vedantic realization that I am Brahman. Which is very different from a, what a bhakti teacher would say. The bhakti teacher would say devotion to God in that form is, is enough. That itself will take you to God realization and you know, enlightenment. But an Advaitin will say that's a good preparation. Now come to Vedanta. Come to the class. Now 13 and 14, before I go into it, I'll just say um, what these are about. He's summing up what has gone on till now. The real thing is going to come after this, the fourfold qualification for Vedantic students. But this is just the background. Uh, he will say that what is the purpose of all this Nitya Karma, Naimittika Karma, Prashchitta Karma, Upasana, doing these and avoiding other things. The purpose is purification of mind, concentration of mind. If you do it without any worldly desire. But most people, you see, conventional religion from Vedic times till today, most people who come to religion are not coming for this purpose, for God realization, for becoming enlightened, for getting Brahma Jnana, Moksha. They are coming for it, coming to religion for some worldly purpose or other worldly purpose. Worldly purpose is uh, let my illness be cured, let COVID go away, all good purposes. Uh, let the economy recover, or let me get a green card, things like that. And so, worldly purpose. Or it may simply be general thing. You know, it, it's, it's nothing wrong in it. Let all things be good for my family, for the society. It all, all be good. It's still worldly. It's not for God realization and enlightenment. So, if one has a worldly goal, one will get that. If one does not have a worldly goal and still practices these things, the, one's purity of mind will increase and concentration will increase. That is what is being said in 13 and 14. 13, you will get concentration of mind and purity of mind if you follow these rituals without any desire. I'll read out. Etesham nityadinam buddhi shuddhi param prayojanam param prayojanam Upasananam tu chittaika grim Kametamatmanam vedanu vachanena Brahmana vivilishanti yagena Ityadi shrutehe Tapasakalmasham hanti Ityadi smitescha What has been said here? Um, of these, the nitya and other works mainly serve the purpose of purifying the mind, but the upasanas chiefly aim at concentration of mind. As in such Shruti passages, Brahmanas seek to know this self by the study of the Vedas, by sacrifice, Vedarnekopanishad, as well as in such Smriti passages, they destroy sins by practicing austerities in the Manusmriti. So what was said here, if you follow the Sanskrit, I'll, I'll just break it up for you and, and we'll go through it together. Ezesham, of these, all these rituals which were mentioned, Nityadinam, so the nitya, nitya Karma, etc. What is the purpose? Param Prayarjanam, actual, ultimate purpose, buddhi shuddhi, purity of mind, which I just mentioned, actual purpose is purity of mind. Problem, impurity of mind. Solution, purity of mind. And that's done by these practices. Then what is the purpose of meditation? Upasana. Upasananam tu chitta aikagriyam. The purpose of these meditation is concentration of mind. Now, another thing. Throughout the book, you will see. Remember, this book is a systematization of what has been found in the Vedas, in the, in the Upanishads. So, whatever the author says, time and again, he will, uh, he will demonstrate that I'm not making it up. It's from the Upanishads. It's from the scriptures, from the texts. I'm taking it and systematizing it. 
So when he said all of these things, he has said that all these Vedic rituals, they will lead to mental purity. The Upasanas will give us concentration. Where did you find such a thing? He will quote from the Upanishads. For example, he says, Brihadarnik Upanishad. Uh, the spiritual seekers, they seek to realize uh, the, the Atman huh, by study of the Vedas, by sacrifice, so by, by all these rituals. They, so they try to realize by rituals. Another quotation from Manusmriti, Tapasakalmashamhanti, by austerities, people seek to overcome impurities. So by leading an austere life, tapasya. All right. So this is a preparation for spiritual life. But suppose you say, but most people who do these rituals, most people who go to temple and church and, you know, are they doing these rituals, whatever the rituals are for attaining purity of mind and concentration of mind? No, no, no. They are doing it for worldly and otherworldly purposes. Let me have a good life here. Let me go to heaven after death. I don't want God realization or moksha or anything like that. So that will be said in number 14. Nitya naimittika yoho upasana nam tu avantarafalam pitriloka satyaloka praptihi karmana pitriloka vidyaya devaloka ityadi shrutehe. Translation. The secondary results of Nitya and Naimittika Karma and the Upasanas are attainment of Pitriloka and Satyaloka. That means the higher heavens. You go to heaven after death. As in the Shruti passage, uh, by sacrifice, the world of fathers, by knowledge or Upasana, the world of the Devas is gained from Brihadarnik Upanishad. Okay, so that's what is uh, going on here. Now, all this at the risk of upsetting traditional pundits, I will say, not important so much for us. This is all so much background. The real important thing is coming next. Let me just see if there are any questions or anybody has raised a hand or something. Let me see. Okay. So quickly, I'll take it. What if you are not a Hindu? Right. So it is not to be understood in a narrow or, you know, sectarian um, um, uh, sectarian manner. See, what happens is in the um, in some religions to get the benefit from that you have to be a part of that religion. So you have to be a Christian and then you accept Jesus Christ as a savior. Then only the benefits will flow to you or become a Muslim and you accept Islam. Then only you will get the benefit of Islam. But in Advaita Vedanta it really doesn't matter. Uh, though it is a tradition of Hinduism and firmly rooted in Hinduism, it's very impersonal. It, you will see at no point it says that if you believe this, if you are a Hindu, then you only get the benefit. No. Uh, if, you, if you become enlightened, if you, are, if you get knowledge, ignorance is removed, whoever you are, you will get the benefit of it. You will become enlightened. You will be free of suffering. So it's a very impersonal philosophy. Now, because it is set in Hinduism, in, in the ancient Vedas, so all the preparations and preliminaries, you will see they are all very Vedic. In fact, why Hindu? Uh, why only Hindu? Because even modern Hindus will find this strange because it's, it's so um, and almost obsolete. Modern Hindus are much more used to puja and festivals and mantras and all of that. Uh, so that is the way the religion has evolved. So what is the takeaway from this? The takeaway from this, this is for everybody. The takeaway from this is not that you have to be a Vedic Hindu for, for you to study Upanishad. No. Uh, to study Vedanta. No. What you have to be, what it's trying to tell us is we, we need, first of all, an ethical life and some religious preparation for purification of the mind and concentration of mind. There should be some kind of uh, ethics and religious ritual in our life, depending on what, uh, I mean, whatever your background is. That's one. And there should be some kind of meditative practice for focusing, calming down the mind. Number two, if you have these two, your preparation for Vedanta is complete. That's a good question. Then, mantras for Upasana not chanted loudly. Right. Mantras for Upasana, which are found in uh, the mantras during rituals are chanted loudly. But run mantras for the Upasana are actually telling you what to do uh, mentally. And if there are mantras to be chanted, they have to chant them mentally. Um, purasaram. Purasaram means having done earlier. Purasaram, Ramya is asking, Purasaram means having done these things earlier. 
and then you go to the next one. This Jyotish Toma, uh, then the uh, this Jatishti, the various kinds of Vedic rituals. These are traditional Vedic uh, rituals which have to be performed. Most modern, unless they are very strict Vedic Brahmanas, most modern Hindus do not uh, perform these. They have replaced it with modern uh, pujas. So, um, what else? Is there anybody else who's asking a question? No? All right. Now, so this is the background. You might say, why so much? Why not get to the actual point? What are the actual qualifications of a, we're talking about a qualified student. So what are the actual qualifications of a qualified student? You said there are four. Sadhana, Chatushta, Sampanna, Pramata, Adhikari. Go back to text number six. And the last phrase, Sadhana, Chatushta, Sampanna, Pramata, Adhikari. Pramata means knower, the one who's studying this, one who wants to know. What kind of knower is necessary? Sadhan Chatushtai Sampanna, equipped with the fourfold uh, spiritual qualifications. So why not go straight to that? Remember, uh, Upanishads are firmly embedded in the Vedas. So a question will arise, if Vedanta is the ultimate teaching of, of the Upanishads, um, uh, the Vedanta is the ultimate teaching of the, uh, of the Vedas, then why not just discard everything? Whatever went earlier, just go straight to, um, to Vedanta. So two reasons. One is that um, psychologically it is, it is not good. One needs some preparation. And so the preliminary portions of the Vedas, which deal with action, karma, and with uh, meditation, upasana, these two are very helpful as for prepare, preparing you for the future study of Vedanta. Second, if you discard the earlier portions of the Vedas, it leads to a kind of fanaticism that only this is right. And then the question might be asked, oh, so all that went in the Vedas before the Upanishads, everything else, the ritualistic portion, the meditation portion, they are useless. They are not right. In that case, how do you know that the Upanishads themselves are right? That will also be open to question. So what the Vedanta teachers have done is they have not discarded the ritual portion. They have not discarded the meditation portions. They have kept them as preliminary, not as the ultimate purpose, but kept them as preliminary practices. So this has been the approach in Hinduism. When you make a progress, when you come upon something new and better, don't abandon the earlier one. Uh, keep it in a subsidiary position. So, for example, over thousands of years, uh, Hindus, we have moved on to from where the, from, uh, where the religion was centra centrally located in Vedic rituals huge fire sacrifices. Those things have faded away and we have now temples and deities and puja. Um, but they have not faded away entirely. So they are there as part of our major pujas. Not only that, every puja, uh, every worship always will have a lamp which is lit first. So that could be a vestigial leftover of the uh, huge Vedic sacrifices which were performed earlier. So in Hinduism, nothing is totally discarded. It is incorporated and kept at a certain level. Somebody raise their hand. Gloria. Gloria, please go ahead. Gloria, you have to unmute yourself. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm just unmuting her. No, she's still muted. So either you have to unmute her or she has to unmute herself. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Yes, I, it wasn't unmuting. Uh, Gabriel's question has, has raised something for me. When Jesus said, um, I and the Father are one, is, is he saying um, the same thing? I am Brahman, but Christianity has um, kind of packaged it as Jesus is the only one. Yes, so from a Vedantic perspective, when we um, hear the teachings of Jesus, we find a, 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 you know, a dualistic teaching, a qualified monistic teaching, and a non-dualistic teaching. So when I and my father are one, it is non-dualistic. I am one with, with, the, with the Lord. 
It's literally mm. the meaning of Aham Brahmasmi. But, um, so if you look at the Orthodox Catholic interpretation of that, it's only Jesus who can say that, not the rest of us. So the rest of us are not one with God. We are rather, we are creatures and the Lord is the creator. So there's this huge gulf between us and God. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what I would like to say. From an Advaitic perspective, it immediately makes sense. I and my father are one, but Advaitin would say that everybody can say that. We are all one with, with Brahman. We are Brahman, in fact. Okay. And all these things will become very clear. This is the beauty of the book. What is God? What are we? In what sense are we um, one with God? Everything will become very crystal, crystal clear in this book. And uh, even if you don't study any Vedanta after this, this is a solid uh, foundation for the Advaita Vedanta system. Um, every term is clearly defined. And especially when we study the Upanishads, when we go back to the sources of this book, this uh, groundwork will be, very, will be very useful for us. Thank All you. Right. Anybody else? No. Then I will just mention the fourfold qualification and then stop today. So most Vedanta books will not mention all these things. They'll start with the fourfold qualification straight away. So it mentioned fourfold qualification for the Vedanta student. Come to text number 15. Text number 15. Those who are following the Sanskrit, you can follow with me. Sadhanani Tiyavastu Viveka Ihamutra Falabhoga Viraga Shamadi Shatka Sampatti Mumukshutwani The means to the attainment of knowledge are one. Discrimination between things permanent and transient. Two. Renunciation of the enjoyment of the fruits of actions in this world and hereafter. Three, the sixfold treasure, such as control of the mind, etc. And four, the desire for spiritual freedom. Fourfold qualifications. Viveka, from which the word, from which the name Vivekananda comes. Viveka, which is the, all will be defined later on. Viveka, then second, Vairagya, and third is the sixfold uh, treasures. Shama, etc., all to be defined later. And then Mumukshutvam, intense desire for freedom. All right. I'll just uh, leave it at that if others have any questions, because this thing, it's better to discuss it um, at length in the next class, because he's going to go on till text number um, 26 about these fourfold qualifications. Girish, go ahead. Thank you. Um, is, my question is, is about karma. Is karma associated only with individual jivas or is there a collective karma for the entire empirical world as we know it? Uh, a karma that would dictate the, the life and the rebirth of the phenomenal world because science does say that the, this world that we know will end. So is it, is it, is it, other religions say that God will come down and, and all the dead will rise and all that. We don't have that here in Malay. So, but, but we, do we have a rebirth according to karma for the universe? Yes. So the Vedantic idea, not just Advaita, in fact, all of Hinduism uh, has this idea of a cyclical theory uh, that the universe has been created and it is propelled by karma. And uh, this goes on until... Um, at the end of the particular cycle, the universe will be destroyed. Destroyed, we'll all see what, is, what does it mean to be destroyed. It's all absorbed back into Maya, which is the power of God. But all those beings who have not attained liberation will still remain in a seed form with all their impressions and all their past, unexhausted past karma in the, uh, in the collective Maya. And the next cycle of creation, again, the universe will be created. And as it has been in innumerable times in the past. So it will be created again. And all those beings who have not, suppose they have not attained enlightenment. I don't get up scot-free by when the universe ends because I'll be kept in cold storage. And when the universe starts again, I'll be put back into play again until this will go on until I get enlightenment. Only when I get enlightenment am I free of this cycle. So that's the idea. Is there collective karma? There will be collective karma, individual karma, collective karma. So karma is the fuel that propels this creation 
existence and destruction of the universe again and again and again. It, it's a cyclical theory. How would you reconcile this with one creation and then the end of the universe in some of the Abrahamic um, traditions? I would say in a cycle, if you take just one section of it, creation, existence, destruction, if you take that much only, that, that, that much only is what they are talking about. But the Indian view is much vaster. You take a step back and you begin to see that has happened again and again and again. And, uh, and it's going to keep on happening. Advaita Vedanta, we'll see later on, says yes, but no. None of this has actually really happened, nor happening. Will it happen? Brahman alone exists um, from eternity to eternity. And it is eternity to eternity also is the language of time, which also depends on Brahman. There's only one perfect existence, which is non-dual Brahman. As long as we don't realize that, all this is, uh, is um, temporarily or, or uh, relatively valid for us. Uh, all this is important, but not ultimately true. The dualistic religions take this alone as the truth. There is God and there is us and we are in trouble and there is uh, heaven and hell and earth and then creation and destruction. All of this is like the, a movie being played again and again. So does the movie have one show? Yes, but it also has many shows. So the, uh, the hero will uh, undergo tragedies and will finally triumph and all of it will be over. And then in the next show, it will start all over again. So what Advaita Vedanta says is that it's a show. And uh, otherwise, non-dual Brahman is perfect all the time. Gabriel. Manish has a question. Who? Grish. Manish Srivastava. Yes. So Amiti, Pranam. Uh, I have a couple of things. Uh, one is I struggle with the concept of sacrifice in Vedas. Yes. It has always bothered me. How can one have a purity of mind when the base of that is based on certain recommended sacrifice? The moment sacrifice there is a sacrifice of a being. Not that sacrifice of a being. Yajna does not mean so. All of these uh, yajnas generally don't mean sacrifice of uh, uh, living beings. Often they are just uh, small rituals to be performed. Um, so, yes, animals were sacrificed in um, major Vedic rituals. And those were often rituals, they were usually, they were rituals connected to some kind of worldly and otherworldly desire. So that was the old religion of the Vedas, yes. And Swamiji, one more thing. I think the matrix you showed on the PowerPoint slide, Yes. Uh, if you just extend that into a third dimension, mm -hmm. Combine it with Sat, Raj, and Tam Guna. Yes. Get a 27 cube matrix. And if you extrapolate that, you can say, imagine in the gurukuls that existed in the past, a guru would look at the specific quality and the readiness of a student to come based mm -hmm. on those 27 different gradings of where the student was. And then accordingly prescribe which of the sequence that you put together in the slide, which comes first, because what the, the, the sequence that may work for one student may not work for another student. So it gives a very fine grading potentially to- True, what but uh, remember this, what this says, this is something that you find in the Upanishads, in the Bhagavad Gita all the time. For everybody, there is um, a certain necessity of karma, certain necessity of meditation, and then ultimately jnana or knowledge works. Now, for most of us, we start with, with karma, progress to meditation, and uh, then knowledge becomes fruitful for us. Though we practice all three together. The more sattvic the mind, the more sattvic the mind, the faster you, um, you get to the level where uh, knowledge will work for you and enlightenment is the result. The more tamasic the mind, the more important it is for uh, a person to practice karma yoga. Um, rajasic mind has to be controlled through meditation. Yes, but the three gunas are, are very, very important in understanding the level of a, uh, of a spiritual seeker and recommending spiritual practices. And that is exactly my problem. When we see, you know, there are so many shades of religion and different ways of interpreting the, the correct path. Yes. And sometimes I feel, they feel that there is, um, there is a prescription which is provided, uh, I'm not talking here, but generally outside, uh, which is less suited to the needs of a person 
but more because that is what most people are accustomed to and that's what they can teach and that's why they teach that. It is true. Uh, that's why the Vedantic path is, is, is really good because it uh, gives you the whole, you know, the whole broad span of spirituality from the beginning to the end. Uh, what we need is ultimately knowledge not working because of lack of concentration of mind. Meditation is necessary, not working because of the impurity of mind. Then purification is necessary. If you see at that level, purification is not coming. That would be rare. But then you have to look then further back. Do I have an ethical um, and moral life? One can't jump from uh, immoral life to unselfish action. No, immoral life to moral life. Moral life to unselfish life. Unselfish life to meditation and focused mind. With a focused mind, Vedanta becomes immediately effective. Yeah. And who else is there? All right. Um, Jayant, are you there? Gabriel has a question. Yes. Uh, Gabriel, can you unmute yourself? Yeah. Just quickly also to what Gloria said earlier. I find since I've been studying with you, Swami, uh, I suddenly understand references uh, that are made to the Bible, which I never understood before. And now, since studying with you, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, this is what they mean. Like mm -hmm. my father and I are one, other references. Suddenly, it's crystal clear to me. So I just wanted to mention that, that I think like, that's wonderful. For example, very powerful. In, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. If you are pure in heart, you'll see God. Now see, the whole point here is the, the fundamental task before us is this purity of heart. Purity of heart is what is called Chitta Shuddhi here. Purification of the inner instrument. Right. Yeah. One, uh, uh, Vedanta Master once told me that with this purification, with the fourfold qualification which we shall talk about next time, with those qualifications, approach Vedanta, the same teaching will take you to enlightenment. Without those, or without, without, without a sufficient grounding in those fourfold qualifications, approach Vedanta, and you'll be left with the feeling of, uh, I understood it, but it's still not real for me. And I, I get what is being said, but it levels, remains at the level of the intellect. What remains at the level of the intellect will deepen into enlightenment, depend, not by more study, but actually by these preparations. All right, uh, let's end this here. And we'll take it up next time. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamad.